You are listening to BLF Podcasts. The Society for Culture and Environment extends a warm welcome. Today's session is titled Is India Heading for Environmental Collapse? from the Bhopal Literature and Art Festival January 2020. We have with us Ms. Bharati Chaturvedi, environmentalist, columnist, and founder director of Chintan Environmental Research and Action Group. She will be in conversation with Mr. SPS Parihar, ex-chairman of the Central Pollution Control Board, and Mr. Raghav Chandra, president of the Society for Culture and Environment, director of Bhopal Literature and Art Festival, and an author too. The midst of two stalwarts, both dealing with environmental issues, both protecting us, both fighting to ensure that we lead lives which are healthy, clean and fit. Bharti Chaturvedi, who heads Chintan, whom I have known for so many years, as a person who is absolutely grounded, practical and connected with the subject of waste management and environment. She writes a column for Hindustan Times regularly. It's a very pithy column and in about 400 words she manages to convey what others would in about 4,000 words. SPS Pariyar Saab, who has been my colleague in the government of Madhya Pradesh and who is today the chairman of the Central Pollution Control Board and as all of us are aware with the Supreme Court breathing down uh, every administrator's neck with the government's neck uh, Pariyar Saab is faced with the onerous task of protecting our environment on a day-to-day -day basis, of dealing with subjects like uh, the overall uh, fog, the haze, the blur over Delhi which is causing uh, so much uh, concern, the fall in the AQI levels and everything. And I think both of them, Bharti represents the non-governmental system at its uh, very epitome, uh, Surya uh, Parihar Saab represents uh, the governmental uh, side of uh, the environmental uh, 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 subject. So both of them are ideally uh, pitted here to explain to us why uh, things are going the way they are. And I would first like to ask uh, you Bharti, why are we so suddenly so pessimistic? And why is it that today almost all newspapers all articles and all magazines uh, nationally today are uh, feeling extremely pessimistic about it and talking of this entire subject of uh, you know the climate uh, and the environmental crisis and whether we are heading for an environmental collapse. Why should this thought have even emerged? Uh, let's see if I might as well. As we use this. Thank you, Raghav, and Aap Sabko, thank you. Um, I feel that there is a solid reason why uh, we are, uh, why we feel uh, pessimistic. You just have to look at the map of the world. 20% uh, of all the birds in the United States have disappeared in the last 50 years. One billion animals in the last um, two months have died in the Australian fires. Madrid ka jo COP 25 it was a complete disaster and that is ऐसे साल में जब ग्रेटर थुम्बर्ग पूरी दुनिया को यू नो हिला रही थी एंड जब हमारी यूथ 
सारी सड़कों पे आई हुई थी रिच नेशन से गरीब नेशन से सो आई फील एंड यर वी आर इवन इन आर ओन कंट्री आई मीन वी आर सींग इराटिक इराटिक वेदर इवेंट्स वी आर एक्सपीरियंसिंग थिंग्स बियॉन्ड आर ओन कंट्रोल वी आर अ कंट्री दैट हैज नॉट ईटन अप अ लॉट ऑफ रिसोर्सेज इन द लास्ट हंड्रेड एंड फिफ्टी ईयर्स एंड स्टिल वी आर क्वाइट शेकन अप वी क्वाइट वी सफरिंग आर एग्रीकल्चर इन द कमिंग ईयर्स द ड्राउट्स so i think we have every reason to consider uh, consider a kind of a climatic collapse i to me 11th october 10th and 11th october 2019 mujhe to laga these are signs from heavens when uh, the birds in sambar lake just began to die and in the end rajasthan ke sambar lake mein we lost 65000 birds approximately so i do feel that uh, we are in a stage um, where we have failed in many ways the world has failed and especially countries that have consumed so much and because of whom we uh, the world is heated completely failed to cut down on uh, on this crisis and show any kind of leadership whether we look at trump or whether we look at uh, bolsonaro in brazil and uh, surya do you also uh, feel that uh, Uh, it's appropriate to speculate and contemplate whether we are heading for uh, an environmental collapse so you think that is uh, modern day uh, 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 extreme modern day cassandrism or pessimism and that's too far fetched and things are pretty much in shape and can be redeemed with a few uh, active steps from uh, you know agencies such as yours and the state governments <coughs> Uh, thank you, sir. Um, I'm very happy to see some of my very, very senior colleagues present here. And um, Bharti, of course, we've been working uh, for some time together now. Uh, uh, what she said, of course, is factual, and uh, there is a concern, certainly, that uh, uh, things are difficult as far as environment is concerned. But let me also add some positive. Uh, thought to what has been said, and uh, in the Indian context, especially, uh, we just learned that the state of environment report has come out very recently, and uh, you'll be happy to note that the forest and tree cover has not only been maintained uh, since 2017; in fact, it has gone up by about 5,000 square kilometers. Now, which is a very encouraging sign, and. we see that in terms of being able to maintain the carbon sink in our country and that's our contribution to the world uh when we uh, talk about the uh, things happening around in sambar lake or in other places across the country um we talk also about what's happening in delhi in terms of air pollution which seems to be a major cause for concern uh since i've been dealing with this subject i know for sure that the problem of air pollution in delhi uh, has not only been diagnosed but is also being addressed in a very systematic fashion now that's something which is a very important that not only that you recognize that there is a problem you are not in a denial mode and also try and think of solutions to deal with that particular problem uh talking specifically about the air pollution related issues 
Uh, you would notice that uh, when we look at the map of country and we look at the winter months especially, it's really the Indo-Gangetic plain which suffers. And rest of the country is much better. We are sitting in Bhopal, Indore, winter months, their quality is far superior to what you see in Delhi, Indo-Gangetic plain. Now, reason primarily is the geography of that area, the alluvial soil uh, in the entire Indo-Gangetic plain, the Himalayas there, the barrier for air to flow, the high uh, moisture in that area, and of course the uh, human population itself uh, residing in that part of the country. So what we are looking at now is to provide solutions to that part of the country uh, to begin with. Uh, by preparing specific plans of action and uh, not only if those plans are in place, they have still started executing those plans and especially Delhi, uh, if I may quote, uh, since 2016 we have been um, executing a specific plan and you will be happy to note that the particular matter emissions which we look at very closely, which is the main source of pollution in that part of the country, they have come down to almost 25%. Uh, since 2016. So I would say that while we are very concerned, we recognize there is a problem. We also know that uh, the problem has a solution and we are trying to attempt solutions. Uh, I have to also say that I have been discussing with Bharti for a while now. She has been um, looking at plastic waste management very closely. And it is very important uh, for government departments, governments to work very closely with people, with people's organizations to try and get a sense of what is required and also get the people to participate in what we do. Unless we do that, the pace of uh, corrective action uh, will not be uh, to the desired level. Uh, so that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Surya. Uh, Bharti, uh, do you think, uh, you know, ever since uh, our economic development has grown out of the historic Hindu rate of growth, our environmental levels have suddenly plummeted. And uh, in the Indian context, perhaps even with your global uh, uh, understanding, do you think that there is a close relationship between uh, extreme or uh, efforts and to ramp up economic development and the environmental degradation that takes place and you think India is a good example of how uh, uh, you know unplanned or unmanaged economic <coughs> development can lead to economic uh, environmental degradation. So um, you know the beauty about living in India is that we live in several parallel realities every single day. So we are quite comfortable eating from some a really basic example is just that ice cream ka wo, uh, you know that little wooden stick that you eat the ice cream with in all the ice cream thalas vis-a-vis you know really really uh, high you know malls that consume so much electricity and uh, you know are just such they have such a huge uh, footprint so I think um, I the way I see it is I see that uh, we don't, we're so, um, we, we have this desire to quickly grow, but we don't, we haven't really thought, uh, I think after the 
you know, after, in 91, I think, because we, we had to survive and all the steps we took after that, we somehow, our mental footprint was that we need to survive, we need to grow, and the environment, the country might collapse, the economy might collapse, and therefore I think environmental issues became quite polarized. Whether you look at, you know, um, the government versus the Narmada Bachao Andolan, I know I was in school and you were a freshly minted IS officer. You, I remember you told me once, you said Harsood was the Woodstock of India and you weren't even there, and I said, no, Raghav, I was there. Um, you know, and yeah, I was there. I came, my parents weren't sure where I'd gone. They thought I'd gone for some school little thing, but we were there. It was a rough thing. We were not used to it. We were pampered uh, Delhi elite kids, but uh, I was there. For everybody's uh, uh, information, that was a big, big event, and we had environmentalists from all over the world there, and all the TV channels from all over the world covering that event. Yes, and uh, so what I'm trying to really say is we, at that, I really, that really stuck in my mind and that's probably why I chose this path is because I think we, um, we chose a development model where we would force a clash, where there isn't actually a need and that's what I mean by parallel realities. So you can actually combine decentralization and centralization whether you look at models of water or whatever else you look at. But you have to choose quite clearly where exactly you're going. If you're going to cut down, you know, several hundred thousand trees because you want to, you know, create a piece of infrastructure, then you clearly don't value human life. You don't value future generations. You don't value quality of life. And I think, um, I really think uh, we need to also rethink ourselves in terms of uh, more regional thinking. What's the point having something like SARC, you know, if Bangladesh and Nepal and India and other countries just can't breathe and we don't share enough technology, we don't, we're all, we're in similar, different parts of our Indo-Gangetic plane are in different parts of these countries' uh, airsheds, we don't think regionally. I mean, I really think that uh, it's, develop, the development model is quite, uh, doesn't consider uh, the benefit of the environment, but we ourselves, really don't uh, don't really take any advantage of the fact that we're part of a region and even our macro thinking of ourselves is uh, quite uh, micro at least in uh, unable to be more imaginative sunia do you think there is a multiplicity of uh, agencies which are really looking into environment and that is in some way uh, obstructing us from taking a holistic and uh, uh, sorted out a view of how to proceed. You know, we have the NGT, we have the Supreme Court in, in getting involved. Supreme Court sets up committees like the EPCA. Uh, do they in any way prevent you from being able to function uh, as uh, comprehensively and holistically and adequately as you would like to? Uh, so if you permit, before I uh, answer this yeah, question sure. specifically, like to. Uh, if I'd like to supplement yeah. on the regional context. Yes, that's very, very important for us and we do realize that the entire region is one and uh, various countries are impacting each other in terms of the activities that carry out. Uh, and therefore, specifically on the air issue, uh, it's ECMOD which is looking at a regional perspective, um, uh, talking to various countries and looking at a regional plan. 
uh, to deal with the air pollution. Uh, very recently, we have uh, signed with Bhutan on managing waste because uh, cross-border issues are there in terms of uh, dumping of waste and treating waste. So we are, of course, uh, discussing with uh, uh, Bhutan also. Now, coming to the issue of multiplicity of uh, agencies, uh, yes, it does create uh, problems at times that there are too many agencies trying to do the same thing and uh, uh, not being able to very clearly assess as to which is the agency which is responsible uh, for monitoring, for coordination. Uh, very recently, so you may be aware that uh, these issues were taken up by the AGT and uh, now um, various verticals like the air, water, waste, management issues have now been uh, brought into focus at the level of uh, chief secretary in each state because we realize that uh, the departments of environment, department of development, pollution control boards, uh, while they were doing their bit, but uh, there was somebody required at the state level to be able to coordinate and steer the whole thing. And therefore now uh, there is a clear thinking that at the state level it's the chief secretary who's supposed to be looking at all these issues, uh, which has uh, brought in good results. Over the past few months I've been touring various states and when I discuss with people, they're very happy with the current arrangement where uh, top level executive in the states is able to uh, look at the um, uh, whole thing in a holistic fashion. Uh, Delhi is a typical example where we uh, have difficulties uh, in coordination. But there again, the Chief Secretary uh, Delhi is now being able to bring a lot of people together. And on the regulatory side, of course, at the central board, uh, we do try and uh, do our bit uh, to coordinate. So I would say that uh, we did realize that there was a problem of multiplicity of agencies. And now uh, uh, institutions have been identified not only at the state level but also at the district level uh, where uh, somebody, one institution will be coordinating the entire effort. So things are looking up. So this is a question to both of you, Bharti uh, and uh, 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 Surya, about the importance of urban planning and Surya, you've been uh, Principal Secretary Urban Development uh, for some years. Bharti, you've written a book on Delhi and you also, you know, an urban uh, uh, environment list in several ways. So I, uh, my understanding both as an urban administrator uh, and as a, a person who has uh, been involved with the environmental issues is that, especially for our cities, uh, you know, when we talk of uh, environmental decades, our cities which are really going down the drain. And on the one hand, we see cities like Bangalore and Delhi, uh, you know, showing that uh, they are very high in terms of receipt of FDI and such like. But actually, the way the traffic is managed, the way uh, there is a proliferation of uh, all kinds of high-rises, uh, there is unplanned uh, developments uh, that are taking place. I think the core of uh, our urban environmental issues is the lack of town planning, you know, in the serious sense, in the conservative sense, the kind of town planning which, was, which is envisaged which European cities have, but surprisingly and unfortunately our cities don't have. And uh, so it is in the matter of appropriate use of land, you know, so having a planned development and earmarking, delineating how, what should be where. We've never, for instance, thought of parking, you know, 
as a result of which now you know when you built up all the space there is no space for parking so things like that so i would like to have you know for the benefit of everyone your take on how important you feel that uh, town planning is as a matter of urban development and what its impact on the environment is because that's unfortunately you know why i'm mentioning it that my personal take is that politicians have sort of taken over that aspect of uh, governance only to appease and to please so for instance haryana we've had change of land use issues and all that you see in all over every state and unless we take care of that and do that correctly we will never really have good urban environment plan uh, i am very happy that you raised that issue because uh, while we've been looking at uh, various studies like the source apportionment emission inventories etc and also looking at waste management maybe in isolation uh, we did realize that carrying capacity is something that needs to be looked at much more closely than what we've been doing Uh, and therefore, what we've done uh, very recently is to do a carrying capacity study in uh, Himachal, in two cities, and uh, it's brought out very good results for us in terms of what needs to be done for future. Uh, also, carrying capacity studies are now being initiated uh, for other cities which are non-attainment in terms of uh, air pollution. Uh, but uh, something very interesting came out that when we looked around for experts. to do the carrying capacity studies uh, there is a dearth of experts in our country there are not very many experts who can do the carrying capacity studies in a very methodological very scientific fashion so uh, that's the current challenge that we facing uh, to be able to get uh, right kind of and right amount of experts to do this fairly quickly uh, especially in cities uh, which are big which are suffering Uh, to begin with, and uh, therefore, take your points. Uh, certainly, uh, this is something which is very <coughs> critical and important, and it has a huge bearing on how do we manage environment, especially the urban scenario. Arti, how would you? Well, I really would like to distinguish between town planning and what's happening in a lot of our cities, which is tragic real estateization of our cities. So. I think there's it's a fatal flaw to look at a city and to constantly imagine what kind of money you can squeeze out of the last square inch of it and say this is so inconvenient not to you know I'll take my favorite example which is um well if you want I could do Delhi as well but essentially the way uh, whether it's RA forest whether it's um, you know the 13000 trees in delhi to be cut down whether it's dwarka express whatever it is it's about so much of it is about currently converting cities into little patches of real estate i think that's absolutely ludicrous and if i may say so as an activist as an environmentalist i'm always very grateful for the politicians i'll tell you why because you can always bug them and if you bug them enough they listen to you and they may not agree with you but you can get into an intense dialogue and you can just refuse to leave their offices or stand outside their houses and i think there's a great merit in that so i think while we are all as a community of people who have to breathe the air of the ncr and live in this beautiful country it's terrible to see what's happening with the aravalis and the uh, and the change of uh, land use on the other hand 
um, you know, we are, the way that we're looking at it is let's push, let's push these political buttons. Um, I also feel that, um, so that having been said, I think one of the things we keep forgetting is that over 70% of everybody in a city is actually informal sector. So you never account for the balloon wala and the ice cream wala and the maid, but they're human beings and they need water and they need places to live. And these are people who are left most vulnerable when you completely destroy, say, the green belt or you don't have walking spaces or they're unable to cycle because these are people of modest means. And only in cities like Bombay and Delhi, though they even manage minimum wages, most of them earn approximately minimum wages in the biggest cities. And these are people who, um, who increasingly, as our cities have altered in, um, in India, we've seen that rather than having slums in the center of the city, we're finding that they're relocated to the peripheries, which makes it much more expensive for these people to provide their services because it's so expensive to travel and these other places are not so well developed. Therefore, um, my understanding is that uh, rather than look at a city uh, for just town planning, I would look at a city through the lens of equity. Does every single person have basic clean water, toilets? We did a survey which we haven't released, which we will release closer to the date, um, is uh, where it shows that 60% of people uh, who work in repair work, in recycling and things like that in Delhi, which is the capital of this country. 60% of the women didn't have, uh, in non-acknowledged slums, I'm not talking of authorized slums, there's also something called slums which are not acknowledged, actually didn't have um, any, um, any access to toilets and they were, they were extremely shocked uh, and they were very angry. And that's the number one shocker and there are many more in the data. So I'm only trying to say that, number one, stop converting urban India into pieces of real estate because you end up with very unsustainable uh, places with very poor quality of life. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. I'm a car owner myself. But wouldn't it be better if, um, if we just got uh, the buses that we needed and made, it, made them safe and affordable and reliable and we didn't have to stand for 40 minutes on the ring road waiting for a mudrika that uh, will not come. You know, if we just did something as basic and managed our cities, I think we would be a far more sustainable urban, the urban part of India would be much more sustainable. I would look at equity. I think we forget equity very often. I mean, how can you have a capital city with such poor infrastructure for unauthorized uh, slum women? It's shocking. And uh, I also think thirdly, that we've begun in cities to look at green as something that's an enemy of better quality of life. So you're cutting down trees and saying, I'll plant some more uh, 15 kilometers away. But guess what? Those trees play a different role. They're much smaller. They're going to take many years to become big. And you've completely, you've completely broken the, the ecological backbone of your city, whatever that city might be. And I think... Um, that is why I really like politicians, because you can have these conversations with them. And, um, you know, so I think they might real estateize something, but we can fight back. So this uh, thing about equity versus uh, uh, rationa uh, rationality. It's rational to be equitous. <laughs> <laughs> we can argue about that. But, uh, uh, you know, for instance, in Delhi, uh, Bharti, I'd like, uh, and so your take also, both 
academically and as, admin, as an administrator. Uh, what uh, the government of uh, Delhi uh, did by way of announcing uh, various uh, SOPs to those living in, uh, you know, in the poorer localities and the economically weaker sections, uh, announcing uh, things like uh, a rollback on their water tax, water charges, a rollback on various other things. And uh, now, we, we just a little while back, we did hear Rajendra Singh, the Waterman of India, the Maxisi Award winner, talking about how we have, uh, uh, you know, been absolutely drawing on our uh, groundwater resources, paying absolutely a pittance for it, whereas uh, abroad, for every bit of water that you consume, your electricity bill and your water bill are broadly the same. And here we have state governments racing to the bottom in absolutely sheerly populistic moves, uh, waving off uh, water and electricity tariffs. And you know, once you do it once, then it's a continuous uh, race to the bottom. So, on the one hand, it helps to, you know, bring about a more equitous uh, kind of a social regime. But on the other hand, it sets off a, a, a wrong effect People expect more and more such sorts. They don't want to pay user charges. Uh, it's bad for the psyche, bad for the economy. And therefore, in the long run, you will not be able to provide the kind of environmental infrastructure that you need to provide because you won't have the resources to do that. So what's your take on that? Well, thanks, Raghav. Actually, I quite agree about those sorts with you in Delhi. I think uh, freebies are not the same things as equity. You know, I think if we could get drinkable or almost drinkable quality water, if we could all get adequate amounts of water, the, um, including somebody living, you know, in, uh, in um, a faraway place, uh, that would be great. To my mind, equity is when every street vendor in uh, Purnia district uh, is actually able to breathe clean air. Uh, and not just, you know, uh, people with, uh, with masks and air purifiers, uh, which have kind of, uh, kind of privatized clean air in its own perverse way. So I really believe, um, so I just want to underscore the, the difference. And I really believe that the poor actually pay much more than we do. Because apart from paying for their, from their bodies, I mean, today, uh, people who are selling bhel puri uh, on the roads, from 11 in the morning till uh, 8.30 at night have to actually breathe in uh, huge amounts of uh, pollution and I'm sure uh, Mr. Parihar will agree with me that uh, they pay a greater cost in, in places, in many cities, 30% of that pollution comes from motor vehicles which they can ill afford themselves. So there are those fundamentally um, uh, big ticket inequities, if I may say, if I may call them that. Um, I also, uh, I, I just want to also underscore that um, they also pay in other ways that we don't acknowledge. I mean, uh, if you look at the kind of affordable food that street vendors, uh, you know, five odd lakh street vendors, just to take a random number from Delhi, uh, you know, we have one and a half lakh to two lakh um, recyclers who pays, when was the last time you paid to throw away, uh, you know, a piece of cardboard? Um, it's picked up for free, it's recycled for free, people earn their livings and all kinds of other things. There are all kinds of services that forest dwellers give you to preserve those forests that we don't pay for. So I think um, 
I think I, while I don't really appreciate the, the free water, because I think that it's very problematic, um, but I do want to, I do think we need to acknowledge the kinds of uh, free services that uh, the poor not only provide to us, but the kinds of payments that they make in order to be in our city and be part of our ecosystem and, you know, uh, they have as much right as we do to a good, clean, healthy life, Article 14 of our Constitution. Surya, would you like to supplement that? No comments on Delhi. The elections are all but borrowing from what I saw in the power sector uh, in Madhya Pradesh, uh, what was seen very clearly is that the farmers were uh, happy to pay if the services were of good quality um, and efficient and affordable. So a reasonable price they willing to pay, provided the services are efficient and good quality. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I just want to back you up about farmers there. We've been working with farmers in Punjab. And uh, I'm very struck by one thing. I just want to share this quote this farmer gave me, you know, because of the stubble burning and air pollution. And one of these farmers um, in Amritsar district, so, you know, on his farm we were having lunch, uh, which he had got, and I was eating this chawal. And he said, Look, and he looked at me and he said, I'm so ready, 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 of figuring out how to put millets into midday meals and helping our thoroughly undernourished children in Delhi and in Punjab and in Haryana get more nourishment and get um, cleaner air for the rest of us. We're all blaming the farmers, including, I'm sorry to say, our Supreme Court, which said I have no sympathy for the farmers. I mean, what do you mean? Punjab also has a lot of farmers' suicides. And so, um, you know, it's, it's very troubling to hear all of this and I think it's also very disturbing to think that farmers give us our food, they're not paid very well, they're willing to, there's suicides in, um, um, you know, um, in, um, in Punjab as well and on top of that while they're willing to make this change for us, they themselves are breathing that horrible stubble um, air that comes out because they themselves are burning it. I mean, try standing there. I've never been able to stand properly even in a farm that was where the burning is almost over it's just not possible but those dalit women and those farmers are there okay. so, so uh, yeah uh, one uh, last question uh, to uh, the two of you before we quickly open to the audience you know when we generally speak about uh, the environment uh, there is a tendency to only look at it uh, in very physical terms as pertaining to air pertaining to water but the human angle is often missed. And environment, in my view, is a much larger thing. And at the bottom of the environment, of the, you know, the person who really supports it, what is the environment for? It's for the human being. But unfortunately, the way our 
environmental laws are framed, the human being is takes you know lesser priority, and which is why when the <coughs> when for any major project which is to be launched in a district where the collector does the Jansun Y, you know he writes roughshod over all the these things. So I've attended uh, some of these Jansun Ys in uh, uh, Jharkhand and Odisha, and I've seen how the collectors call all these stakeholders, but it's practically. You know, it's like a Ministry of External Affairs uh, sort of, you know, United Nations minute. It's already the draft is ready, and you just sign and write draft short over it, and it's done. So, is there any move uh, to bring in more human angle into environmental planning? Uh, I think what you mentioned uh, has more to do with the way we implement the rules and regulations. Uh, the thinking behind the strategy, uh, the spirit behind the rules and regulations very clearly says that the human angle is extremely important, it is paramount and therefore uh, you are very much aware about the environmental impact assessment of every project that we do. And now uh, there is a move to also bring in the noise assessment of every project that we do uh, because uh, noise is becoming uh, more and more important in terms of impacting human health. Uh, so I would say that the thinking is very much there. The strategy uh, behind framing these rules and regulations very clearly says that yes, uh, human angle is important. Uh, we are uh, in the process of conducting um, studies uh, in terms of impact on health of what we do uh, by way of projects, by way of uh, air quality monitoring and how does it impact health. So uh, health is certainly not lost sight of. It's very, very important and center of our thinking. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll just uh, say that depends on which citizen. I think uh, people with less means, we should certainly find uh, there are issues. And though I'm very proud to say that there have been lots of movements of people which have changed and shown us what change can be. But I think we certainly should look, listen less to corporate citizens. You can't have coke bullying us all the while and taking away all the groundwater and so on and so forth. So that would be my brief comment. Thank you. So now I throw it open to the audience. Please uh, uh, raise your hands and we'll have a quick two, two or three questions. Environmental impact. I think we are very urban-centric, very metro-centric. 85% of the country is rural. Now, how does that impact and what kind of work is being done to make people aware and also assess as to the practices which they are adopting, whether they are impacting the environment negatively. Something needs to be thought along these lines also and something needs to be done about that. Uh, that is something that uh, has certainly come to notice. Uh, and you have dealt with these issues before. Uh, when we look at air and water especially, uh, uh, we are mapping the polluted river stretches across the country uh, which primarily uh, flow through the rural areas. Looking at the causes of uh, pollution in uh, river waters, uh, primarily industrial sewage and then there is a move to have specific action plans for every polluted stretch and that is where the people's movement, the community organizations are going to be involved. Uh, Ganga is one example where uh, gradually we are moving towards a situation where 
uh, government intervention on industrial pollution uh, has had uh, a very good impact on the uh, rural um, stretches of uh, Ganga River. Uh, as far as air is concerned, uh, yes, sir, uh, we were uh, certainly urban centric, uh, I would concede that. Uh, but very recently, uh, uh, I have to share with you that we are looking at something which is called as AOD, aerosol optical depth. And now, AOD is essentially a satellite based observations of particulate matter, and the entire country is getting mapped and using algorithms to find out which are the hot spots across the country where air is polluted. And that's where uh, the interventions are going to begin, uh, even in the uh, rural settings. So things are happening uh, with uh, rural areas in mind, certainly. It's not being ignored at all. Aarti, uh, would you like to also... Yeah, very briefly, if you go um, across the Himalayas, I mean, I think the question is also to my mind, um, so when you ask rural communities what they want, that what they want might not be what what um, is in the big picture. So often rural communities in Uttaranchal, where we work quite a lot, they say you know just want to shoot and get rid of these uh, these animals. I mean, get rid of the leopards right now, and uh, we have had to abandon our farming and uh, so on. Whereas on the other hand, conservationists from urban backgrounds venerate certain kinds of uh, big cats and elephants and so on. So what I'm, what I'm really saying is that uh, there are, uh, when you say what is being done for uh, you know, rural India, I, I just want to point out how complex that is because rural India may not want what is being done for it. That's all. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, G. From Bhopal. G. We are working for biomedical waste for the last 18 years in Bhopal. I just want to ask about plastic policy. The government says that uh, we will not allow to use plastic. But why don't government block those uh, industries which are making plastic? Rather than punishing the people who are using it, why not to block at the same level where they are manufacturing? what you're saying is right that the source has to be plugged and uh, if somebody is manufacturing less than 50 microns in size which is allowed as the rules then those industries should be shut uh, so while the rules are in place uh, again coming back to the point which Mr. Raghav raised the implementation issues are there and we need to certainly make uh, enforcement more robust as far as the uh, sources uh, are concerned and uh, talking about plastics uh, what has been said is that um, in terms of rules which are already there, while we're looking at anything which is less than 50 microns in size not be allowed, we're also looking at a possibility of phasing out uh, single-use plastics. Currently, we are in the process of defining what single-use plastic is. Uh, shortlist has already been done, which is in consultation with various stakeholders. And once that is done, then that list is going to be out in public domain. Based on which phasing out will be done by 2020. Dr. M. K. Jain, I am an environmental consultant from Jaipur. Uh, I have two observations. Yeah, One, we don't want observations, we want uh, questions. Uh, it's a uh, uh, question. Please convert it. Uh, let's yeah. convert your thought into a question and then you can ask. Uh, that, that, meanwhile, the gentleman at the back. Hello, everyone. My name is Rud, and I'm a recent graduate uh, in the Civil Engineering from Swansea University. My question is um, how practical and feasible is 
to adopt the concept of the civil economy in our country. So I feel that there are a lot of things in this country that are quite circularized traditionally and our challenge is to uh, make them more relevant for our contemporary lives. So whether it's the mochi, I mean finally what is a circular economy, a fundamental thing about it is to make a material, design it so that it lasts not just longer but it's constantly in use um, rather than linear. So I think a mochi for example uh, was very traditionally using pieces of tires and putting them under your shoes so that the shoes lasted and the tires lasted. And these, there are hundreds of such examples, you know, uh, they're dying out of course because none of us have those lives anymore and somebody will come and sharpen your knives. But I think it's quite important to look at uh, new business models for old uh, traditional forms of uh, entrepreneurship. I also believe that uh, Circular economy has to be built in into design. Uh, we have a huge, uh, we have a huge pool of talent here in this uh, country, whether it's IIT or anywhere else. And I think the way that we design, uh, whether it needs to phase out uh, our planned obsolescence, but whether it's electronics or whether it's other kinds of things, I think textiles is a very major issue, especially because over 65% of our textiles are actually synthetic textiles, which is the same as plastics virtually. So I think uh, that's where the challenge is. Surya? Yeah, this is the last bit. Yes. Uh, uh, designing uh, with life cycle in mind is something which is very much on. And since you're sitting in Bhopal, uh, let me also add that it would be a good idea to visit Indore. It's a leading example of municipal waste management. And that is where they have been able to attempt 90% uh, of municipal waste that is being generated. Either it's uh, recycled or reprocessed or reused. Uh, it's only about 5 to 10% which goes into landfill. So, and that's the target that we're looking at for the entire country. So, it would be a good example. You were listening to a session from the Bhopal Literature and Art Festival, January 2020. Stay tuned for more such podcasts.